0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie-Weissman, the Editor-in-Chief here at Modern Retail. This week, I interviewed Stacia Anderson. She's the Chief Customer Officer at PetSmart. And I want to talk with her because I'm sure many of you listeners know I own two cats and I talk about them a lot. And I'm always interested in just how the pet retail space is evolving. PetSmart, as many of you know, is one of the major retailers in the country that caters to pet owners. And they've done some really interesting brand partnerships. They've grown. They've had many different omni-channel strategies. I'm always fascinated with how, uh, how a company like that tailors it's marketing tailors it's customer strategy to uh to changing trends um the pandemic happened a lot of us got pets myself included um and we're not the same pet owners than we were you know, a couple of years ago, a decade ago, we're caring more about nutrition, we're caring more about the atmosphere they live in. And I'm sure uh, that's what Stacia is constantly thinking about as the chief customer officer. So I chatted her with about that, as well as just overall consumer trends she's seeing in the space, and her big plans uh, for PetSmart, because it's a much more competitive landscape now than it ever has been before. Stacia, how are you doing? How- thanks for joining me.
1: I'm great. Thank you so much for having me here today. This is really exciting. Thanks for Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely, anytime. So first, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. For those who don't know, you've you've worked at uh, many different, really uh, well known retailers, if I'm not mistaken, right?
1: Yes, I have actually. So I actually started my career at Target. I was at Target for 20 years, and I started as an intern. So for all those interns out there, uh, take your internship seriously. Who knows? It could turn into a career. So I spent a little over 20 years at Target, and I did a lot of different things. So I did a little bit of a traditional retail path. Um, I was in planning. I was in inventory allocation. I worked in supply chain for a little while. I did sourcing. Um, I was in merchandising for quite a long time, and most of my career was in home and apparel. So I did a lot of private brand work, a lot of development of brands, a lot of collaborations, those types of things in my time at Target. And after a little over 20 years, I actually left Target and went to Abercrombie and Fitch. And I was the brand president at Abercrombie and Fitch. So in that role, I also had marketing, I had stores and stores operations, I had design and then also merchandising and planning and sort of all of the traditional roles. I was there for about three years and then I came to PetSmart three years ago and I am the chief customer officer here. So in this role, I have merchandising and planning and then customer experience, otherwise known as marketing. And I also have digital and product development and sourcing here as well. So basically everything having to do with the customer and as it relates to pets, including pets as customers. So um, I changed industries and came over to pets about three years ago.
0: My next question is, what does a chief customer officer mean? Because I feel like it's a really it's an amorphous role that means that you just do sort of everything sort of a kitchen sink role so it's how, you sort of did answer it but what like what would you say are the top 3 things that are that are on your 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 to-do list every day is it the marketing side the experience side what do you think about in terms of the role as cco
1: yeah the chief customer officer really it's my job to stay focused on the customer for the organization and make sure that all of our activities and what we're really focused on is focused on satisfying our customer every single day. And so... Here at PetSmart, we'll do anything for pets. And so is the customer the pet or is the customer the customer? Our job, my job primarily, top three things every day is the customer, the customer, and the customer. So what that really means is our marketing functions and how we use customer data and how we talk to the customer and how we think about communicating with her every single day, merchandising, what product we develop, what product we put in front of her, how we think about merchandising the stores to make sure she has a great experience, and then the omni-channel experience for her. So I said digital, but for us, it's really about omni-channel. So how she chooses to shop, where she chooses to transact, and making sure that that is a seamless experience for her every single day. So top three things every day are making sure that her experience is great wherever she chooses to shop with us.
0: Can you talk a little about going from Abercrombie to PetSmart? That's a, that must have been a wild shift. So yes. what, what made you join... Well, do you, did you have pets? Sort of, what was your thought into being like, I'm going to go from this very well known apparel retailer into this completely different category?
1: Yeah, I think the move from Abercrombie to PetSmart for me. All three of the brands that I've worked for are passion brands. And that's really what's important to me. You know, when people talk about Target, they talk about it with a lot of passion. They talk about it from personal experience. When people talk about Abercrombie, they talk about it with passion. They talk about it from personal experience. Everybody has a story about Abercrombie from back in the day. And the same thing for Pets and PetSmart. It is a very passionate category and it is a very passionate brand. So for me, it's less about the product that you sell and more more about the customer that you serve. And so when I decided to come to PetSmart, I really wanted to be at a brand that had a passionate customer about why they were in the store, why they were transacting with the brand. And so moving from fashion to pets seems odd when you think about it from a category standpoint. But when you think about it from a customer standpoint and who you're serving, people are very passionate about their clothes and their fashion, what they look like. People are even more passionate about the pets that they put in their home and how they care about them and what they really believe about how they should take care of their pets. And so it seems odd, but it's actually far more connected than you think it might be.
0: No, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, people are very passionate about their pets. I'm passionate about my pets. I, I get it. Um, I wanted to ask, because PetSmart, I think of as a very, it's, it's definitely in the the cultural realm people have known it for years um and that it's in that sense it's sort of a, a mass brand but how who would you describe the customer as like do you is it truly everyone who has a pet or have you been trying to hone in on a niche uh recently in terms of you know who the customer actually is
1: well look at petsmart we serve so many pet parents and so we have 55 million customers in our loyalty program so when you're trying to define who is our customer. There's 55 million of them and over 30 million that are active every day. The first thing is we really refer to her as she. So when I was talking about her before, I refer to her as she. She is more likely than not to be female. So our customers are much more likely to be female. And we are serving a lot of different customers. Um, Obviously, they have pets in their home. They more than likely have children in their home. And many, many times they have multiple pets in their home. And so they might have a dog and a cat 25% of our customers also have specialty pets in their home so that means they might have a bearded dragon or a small animal or a snake in addition to other things in their home and so our customers are pretty wide ranging but if you've been in retail a long time and you're trying to market and develop develop product you have to have somebody that you're aiming for and so our customer we have a wide range. We aim at a younger customer. She's more than likely to have kids in the house. She definitely has pets in the house. She likes to shop. So shopping is not a chore for her. It's something that she likes to do. Most importantly, our customers think of their pets as family. These are their pets. Part of the reason that our mantra is we'll do anything for pets is because our customers will do anything for their pets. And so when we're developing product, when we're marketing, when we're developing communication, we're tapping into the passion that people have for their pets and why they do what they do for their pets. It's not just about having to feed them or having to take care of them. There is a real pleasure in people connecting with their pets and taking care of their pets. And that's who our customers are at their core. They love their pets and they will do anything for them.
0: Would you say the brand voice has evolved over the years with PetSmart? Um, Or how would you say it has sort of fine tuned specifically now that it's a much Bigger and more, there are a lot. There are a lot more competitors in the space, um, trying to get you know pet parent dollars.
1: Yeah, for sure. We evolved our brand voice most dramatically probably a couple of years ago when we went back and looked at our customer base. We looked at what we stood for. We looked at our corporate values. We really leaned into our associates in the store and our customer data that told us why do customers shop with us, and that's really where we came up with this idea of anything for pets. And our brand voice evolved from individually marketing different sales or individually marketing services or individually marketing things that we wanted to market to the customer to this overall brand platform and voice about why customers do what they do. And they do it for anything for pets. So as you see us and you see our voice, wherever it is in the marketplace, it will start with because we know you'll do anything for your pets this is what we're talking to you about today. And this is really what our brand voice is about. So it's far more emotional. It's far less transactional because we know that's how our customer feels about their pets. It's really not just about shopping. It's about caring for their pets and why they shop is because they care, not because of the actual thing.
0: Got it. Can you talk a little about how you've approached marketing specifically in the last few years? Because you oversee marketing, correct?
1: Yes, I do. Yes, I do.
0: So talk to me about that because I feel... I feel like to be a pet retailer only like five years ago was a very different marketing playbook than it is now, specifically just because of... All the different new brands out there, all the different ways that people are buying their, their their pet supplies. So, what what are what are the key channels that you focus in on, uh, and what are you thinking about as as the lead marketer for this organization?
1: Yeah, first of all, let me just say we have a incredibly smart and well developed marketing team. So when you're asking me what I'm thinking about, it's informed by the really smart people that I work with every day. So this is not Stacia's answer. This is a really smart marketing team that we work with every day. And I think it's become so much more complex than it used to be. If you think about marketing five years ago, it was how much television time you had. What was your ROAS on linear TV? How much search were you buying? You know, it was sort of just, how do you make the components work? What we think about today is where do we place our bets all the way through the funnel? But then we're very interested in being personalized to our customers. So when I talked about having 55 million customers in our loyalty program, that means we know their shopping patterns. We know what they buy. We know what kind of food their pet eats. We probably, if we groom your pet, we know specific needs about your pet. And so we are very interested in using that customer data to be much more personalized in what we offer to you. We're leaning heavily on our loyalty program. We're leaning heavily on CRM. We're also in all of the channels that everybody's in. We're in TikTok. We're in Instagram. We're in all those different mid-funnel channels. Um, We're obviously involved in search. And we're still in, in more connected TV than we've done in the past. But you really have to optimize the entire funnel of marketing and really think about how you can be more relevant to your customers. Because there's so many places that our pet parents are being hit with messaging that it becomes noise if it's not personalized to them. And as you talked about, the products we carry are so varied from food to colors to services. The more we can use our data to personalize a message and make it relevant, the more meaningful it's going to be to you and the more likely you're going to be to engage with us.
0: Are you finding any of those mid-funnel channels are working better or worse? Like you mentioned TikTok. I feel like everybody says they're investing in TikTok. People say they're investing less in meta for obvious reasons. What, 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 are, what are you thinking in terms of those digital touch points? And, and are, are there ones that are, especially in the pet space, resonating well with customers?
1: You know, here's the thing with the different channels. It's a combination of the creative, the message, and the channel. So like every once in a while, you'll have something on TikTok that hits like crazy. And it's because the creative happens to be amazing. We had a TikTok that was a cat on a leash that if you haven't seen it, please go see it because it's hilarious. Um, But that hit with massive views and gave us a lot of buzz and a lot of interest. But I wouldn't say that that means that our TikTok channel is incredibly productive for all of the things, right? You wouldn't put necessarily a promotional ad in TikTok and you find Facebook might be meaningful for other things. So that's why I say the complication of marketing, it really is about the audience, the channel and the creative and the message. And you really have to be driven from what the customer wants and not what channel is productive. And so trying to make all of those things work together is what our really talented team optimizes every day. And so it would be irresponsible for me to come on here and endorse a channel because it just doesn't really work that way anymore. Does that make sense? There's not like a pet parent channel out there. There's really a customer and a creative and a moment that all responds the way that you might. it might hit or others that we think are going to be amazing. And they just aren't.
0: Nope, that makes a lot of sense. Talk to me about the loyalty program because I feel like that's a lot of things, specifically on, uh, you know, executives' minds. You know, given the economic uncertainty, a lot of people are focusing on keeping the the customers that they have. And I know a lot of bigger retailers have been retooling the way they're thinking about loyalty programs, both you know, in terms of making them more tiered, you know, different things like that. So how how does the PetSmart loyalty program work? Has it changed recently? How are you thinking about it? Walk me through all of that.
1: So our loyalty program today has been in place for, I think it's about three years. And today it is a pretty standard loyalty program. It is points back for purchases. And like I said, we have 55 million members in it, 35 million active, which is a really, there's a lot of members in our program. So for us, yes, are we looking at retooling it? Are we looking at lots of different ways to make it more meaningful, more experiential for our customers and get them deeper and more involved? Yes, I don't have anything to reveal to you today, but maybe if you invite me back, I might. (laughs) Um, But what the value of that program for us and our customers today is beyond the points. We're starting to use it for things like access. So for example, when we launched our latest collaboration, Nate and Jeremiah, we launched at 10 times points if you went and signed up early. So what we're using the Treats program for now and what our customers are getting access for is offers run through there. They're more often points offers than they are actually dollars off. We're using it more as a personalization engine. So the data that we're getting from that makes it more valuable to you because I can personalize an offer on the specific dog food that you eat, that your dog eats, and not waste a lot of markdown dollars on things that you don't really care about. Sending you an offer on something you would never buy almost irritates customers at this point, where you used to feel like, oh, I'm sorting through all these offers and I feel good that I picked the one for me. Now you're like, stop sending me those emails. You know, I don't eat that food. (laughs) You know, my dog, you know, I have a cat instead of a dog. Why are you sending me dog emails? And so for us... It's a really good program for us and our customers and our pet parents. We always want to make it better. We're looking into that. The value right now for the customers and for us is the personalization and customization that it allows us in how we communicate with them and how we deliver offers.
0: We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. Please stay with us. How granular do you get with that personalization? Because I feel like that, that sometimes when you're dealing with data, you can spend so much money on you know, data analytics, machine learning, such that you can get something down to a precise, you know, this exact customer is, loves this SKU. And I imagine that that then you're sort of in a in a hamster wheel of, yeah. of spending money. So how, how do you how do you approach that specifically when you're doing personalization?
1: Yeah, look at PetSmart. We love a good hamster wheel. Let's not lie, uh, <laughs> but we're not interested in a data hamster wheel. So I would say we are not at that granular we are on a journey. We need to be better and we like to be more personalized, but we will never get to that level. With that many customers and that many active, the amount of machine learning that you would have to be in and the amount of offers that you would have to manage, there's too much room for error. We just want to be better tomorrow than we are today. And so today we're testing modeling. We're testing things that will make offers more relevant. We will get better as our system learns we get more machine learning over time but are we interested in your specific offer on tuesday for a sku I, that's not going to be where our strength is and so we're going to get better with the data but we're not there today and that's not the ambition the ambition is for you to feel like our site and our offers are personalized and they're arriving just in time for things that you would need
0: you mentioned earlier that you focus a lot on omnichannel and um so can you can you talk a little about what is the average purchase behavior in terms of online and offline for your average customer?
1: Yes, we are... The majority of our business comes in the store. So we have 1,600 stores and 80 or 85% of our stores are within five miles of most customers in the U.S. And so our strength today is really in our customers shop and store. Now, having said that, we, we get a lot of buy online, pick up and store business. I'm sure I don't need to explain to you the dynamics of COVID and curbside and all that kind of stuff. I'm sure that's been on the podcast 150,000 times. But we do far more business in-store than we do just di- digitally e-commerce. That business is growing for us. But in total, our unlock for the future is I, quite frankly, don't care where you want to transact. I want to be available to you in whatever is most convenient for you. So during COVID, we added DoorDash so you could get same-day delivery for us, which was really important as people were you know, sort of navigating a new life. We just added Shipped as an option as well. So we have DoorDash and Shipt. And so those customers who are already loyal to Shipt and using that for groceries and Target and other things, you can now use Shipt for delivery as well. And so for us, it just really is about convenience. It's just taking the convenience play out of our pet parents' minds because we know we have great product. We know we have a great experience. We know we carry everything she needs. How and where and where she wants to get it, that's her choice. That's not really our choice. We just want to enable that as we're thinking about our Omni omni future. So we're pretty low penetrated and direct to customer. That's really not where our strength is. We really want to unlock the value of Omni.
0: Would you ever build out your own fulfillment arm if, if, if you know your DoorDash sales went through the roof? Or do you, do you prefer working with these types of partners?
1: You know, I don't think we've decided yet. Here's what I know. We have 1,600 stores. And so we already have distribution locations pretty much everywhere we need them. And so unlocking that ability to be able to get it, whether it's DoorDash, whether we do it ourselves, whether it's shipped. right now that landscape is evolving so quickly. I wouldn't want to tell you where we want to be a year from now or two years from now or three years from now because those capabilities are evolving so quickly. What I do know is we want to do what we do best, which is being an information source for our customers, developing great product, really being the best resource for pet parents, and then there are other people that do things better than we do. We want to rely on them to do that, if that makes sense.
0: Can you talk a little about just how the overall industry has evolved? Because I feel like I've had a few different pet-related retailers and brands on here, and COVID really changed things a lot in terms of a) how people were buying the vault, you know, the amount of people who who had pets. I I personally am someone who got. Two cats during the pandemic, but also I think that, and maybe this is the sort of echo chamber that I'm in online. But I feel like more people are spending more money on sort of uh, higher end types of of pet products, or thinking more critically about what it is that they're buying. So ha- is that something that you've witnessed? How have have you? What have you noticed in terms of how how you, how you lead a company? in the pet space that's been around for so long.
1: Yeah, I think there's a few things happening. I think pre-COVID we already saw the humanization of pets. So you got two cats during COVID. I got a new puppy about 9 weeks ago. Um and Congrats. look. Thank you. Uh, ask me in <laughs> 6 weeks when everything's under control again. We'll see how it's going. The truth is, I do it, I'm sure you do it. I assign feelings to her that I'm not sure she has, right? So This humanization idea, my husband and I had this long discussion before we got her about how many toys we were going to have and how she was going to be treated, and we are off the rails. Like, it, it just didn't happen. She came in, and her face is cute, and now we think she needs all of these things, and so... There's been this trend about the humanization of pets for a long time. And because of that, exactly what you're talking about is happening. There are more options for how you feed. There's a whole toppers category about it's sort of the idea of cooking for your pet, right? You might feed your cat dry, but then you want to add something on the top and it makes it more interesting for her or him. It makes them want to eat differently. And so there is, we're seeing a push to more premium. Um, we're seeing fresh and frozen across different pet categories. We're seeing science categories um, and higher end categories be better for us because of this idea of the things that you have and you want. Supplements is a great example. There's more supplements in the industry. And so we're seeing apparel and supplements and all those types of things. The second thing is with COVID, you saw what your pet was doing all day. So it used to be, we left, we went to work, we came back eight hours later, and whatever was happening all day in your house, you may or may not have known. Now, every single day, you're watching what toy they're playing with, how much they're eating, what's happening. And so you're responding differently to how many treats you get them, how many toys you need. Do they need outfits? Do they need a different house? Do they need a different scratching post? Like, What are the things that Because you just have more awareness of what's happening with them because you're around them more often. And so that creates a different level of attachment, even more so than the humanization of pets that we were seeing. We recently conducted, we do a lot of customer research in total, and then we pull a lot of data and we ask customers about how they're thinking about the holidays, how they think about spending time with their pets. 60%, 70%, 80% said they would spend more on their pets than they would spend on their friends. They said they were planning on including their pets in all of their activities. They plan on taking their pets places, whether it's traveling to brunch, to parties, etc. Most of them are planning on dressing their pets up for Halloween and holidays. So you, you've integrated them into your lives. Like you work and your cats are there. I'm waiting for a cat to come across the screen if it's somewhere nearby. Like they've just been integrated into your lives and therefore they need more things because you're recognizing needs that you might not have recognized before.
0: So you're talking a lot about these secondary things like, cat, you know, pet costumes, supplements, uh, other types of things, apparel. Um, Have you been focusing more in terms of the customer experiences pushing those because there's been an increased demand for those than there was in Europe's past?
1: I wouldn't say necessarily. There was an increased demand for those as we were sort of in COVID times, right? And people felt the economy was a little bit different and people were adding pets to their home. And when you get a new pet, you have more need for more of those things. I would also say, as we've seen a bit of a change in the economy, the want versus need categories have shifted in our business, just like they've shifted in grocery, like they've shifted. You've seen it in the total economy. And so we've seen our consumables business and food business and those types of things because they're taking up more share of wallet that has become a bigger focus for pet parents and where they're spending more of their money. And we've seen the more discretionary businesses slow a little bit more than they were during COVID. And so it just depends, you know, as it kind of shifts and ebbs and flows with what's happening in people's mindset and the economy, our business follows along with what you might see at other retailers.
0: That's super fascinating. So are you seeing, in terms of consumables, are people now spending more on on less premium products than they were before?
1: No, interestingly, we would have expected them to potentially trade down. And maybe if you were buying science before you buy natural, we are not seeing that. They are sticking to the food that they have always fed. They might be sacrificing a toy or the number of treats or potentially a topper, but they are not trading down in the food. They might even buy a slightly smaller bag to manage the budget through the month, but they prioritize what they feed their pet in some cases over what they feed themselves. And so we have not seen that sort of trade down by category that you might have expected with a shift.
0: That's super interesting. Well, I wanted to switch gears a little bit because I know that you've done some, some interesting collaborations and partnerships. And so can you talk a little about how you you approach that? I know you've done you've You've worked with designers right on yes. on on different like pet homes you also i know that you partnered with um the fresh food company nom nom i you, yes. you have a bunch of different things that you've done, but like like how do you how do you choose who you do like let's talk can you give a little background about the celebrity des- designer one?
1: Yes, so I'll start with how we choose, and then I'll go into the most recent one so number one, we choose it starts with a customer. I'm assuming you were going to assume that answer is my title, and the chief customer officer. We're first looking at what the customer needs are. And so all collaborations, anybody we partner with, starts with there has to be a customer need, there has to be customer value. And so when we're thinking about who do we want to create relationships with, or whether that's Nate Berkus and Jeremiah Brent, or whether that's Nom Nom, or whether that's different things that we're bringing into our store, what is the customer value, what is the customer need? So as our most recent collaboration with Nate Berkus and Jeremiah Brent, it started with a customer need which was, as we talked about in COVID, um, we had a lot of people added specialty pets to their homes. And I told you about 25% of our customers have some type of a specialty pet. And by that, I mean a reptile, some type of a fish, a guinea pig, a hamster, something in their homes. And more likely than not, they want them in the main room so that they can interact with them and play with them. Or look at them, depending on what it is. At the end of the day, most of what was available, habitats, stands, things that they put them on, were not aligned with what the rest of your house looked like. I'm going to put it gently. So it was not really that attractive. It was not designer. And so they were choosing between the style of their house and what had to hold the specialty pet. And so our customers were telling us they're going to other furniture places and trying to fit things together to hold these. So we said, look, we're the company that would do anything for pets and anything for customers. What if we had New York designers design furniture and habitats that were beautiful for the customers and fit into their regular homes? And oh, by the way, the pet gets to live in a house designed by Nate Berkus and Jeremiah Brent. Like, what is more anything for pets than that? And so we reached out to them and said, Would you consider this? Have you ever thought about doing anything in the pet category? They are both known for functional design, solving problems, integrating things into people's houses, and making it beautiful. They also happen to be pet lovers, and they also happen to have two kids who are pet lovers. And so it worked out to be a great idea and a great collaboration to work together to create something that had never been done before in the marketplace. And we created a line of both furniture and accessories that would allow you to bring these specialty pets into your home in the main space and be beautiful and look great. And the pets get to live in a habitat designed by New York designers. And we didn't think there was anything more, anything for pets than that.
0: So for something like that, is that an attempt are like what what is the highest ambition with that, other than sales, clearly you want to sell them. But like, right. do you want to go viral on TikTok? Do you want to get featured in Dwell? Like, what? Like when you when you do something like that, what? Like that, that's it seems like a mixture between two different things.
1: Yeah. Look, there's a couple of goals. The first is we always want to surprise and delight our customers. So at the highest level, we want people to go onto our site and come into a PetSmart store and go, "Wow, what is that? I can't believe Nate Berkus and Jeremiah Brent did that for PetSmart." That's the first. There is a buzz factor. There is a wow factor. It also lends credibility to our design, our own design. So we have 21 proprietary brands. We design a lot of our own product. We're sourcing product and designing product every day. We have a brilliant in-house team, but they are not well-known designers. And when well-known designers come and work with us in our team, It gives credibility to us as a brand, as a design house, because when designers like that are willing to work with us and we create product with them, it gives us some design cred. So obviously we want to sell it. But more than that, we want our customers to be delighted. We want them to consider maybe adding a specialty pet because now it's beautiful. We want to add design credibility to our own brand and have people think about us slightly differently. And if it goes viral and we get into well and we have great design product... All the better, but that's not the ultimate
0: goal. Got it. Um, Well, we're just about running out of time, but I always try to ask people at the end, "What are you know?" We're coming to the end of the year. You you mentioned the holidays are coming up, but let's let's think about twenty twenty three. That's the year we're going into right now. Yeah,
1: I think so. I'm always confused. Yes, yes. Uh,
0: uh, Like, what what are your top three goals that you're gonna that you're hoping to accomplish? You mentioned earlier maybe there might be an update to the loyalty program, but sounds like you can't mention that just yet. But is there anything concrete you can talk about in terms of what you're thinking about with either stores, expansion, et cetera?
1: I don't know what I can tell you for 2023. It's all (laughs) a big secret around here, Kale. Here's what I can tell you for 2023. Look, I've mentioned a bunch of times that we have a lot of customers, and we want to make sure that we are satisfying those customers and making sure that we are getting more of the share wallet of their customers. So, of course, we want to be delighting and satisfying pet parents every single day. And retail is a team sport, right? And it's getting harder. The game is getting harder. It's harder to put points on the board. It's harder to win around here. It's harder to get market share. And so we want to continue to be the number one pet specialty retailer. We want to continue to take share. We want to continue to be the destination for pet parents. And in order to do that, you have to deliver the best new product. Newness drives our business. Newness, people coming in and discovering new brands, new ways to feed their pet, new ideas. That's what drives our business. That's why people come to PetSmart. And so we're constantly innovating. We're constantly delivering new product. So if for 2023, we can continue to stay at the top, we have lots of innovation in product. We have lots of innovation in marketing, potentially loyalty, omni-channel. Uh, we have lots on the horizon for 2023, but at the end of the day it's really about serving our pet parents so that they can be the heroes for their pets every day. That's it. That's all we do. That's why we're here every day.
0: Got it. Well, Stacia, this was a really fun conversation. Thank you so much for joining.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
0: And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and head to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review and a rating. See you next week.